as you know, we're continuing on our series of journeying with Jesus today. Um, one of the things that I find interesting as I think about those, those men on the road with Jesus going to Emmaus is it actually changed their lives immediately, right? Jesus left them and they were like, whoa, that was him. And their plans changed just like that. And uh, they had to go tell others about what had happened, what their experience had been. And, uh, and they changed the direction of their travel immediately. Um, my prayer for us this morning is that God's word will speak to us and that there will be something that we can use that will change our lives for the better this morning. So Isaiah chapter 40. Um, honestly, when I was your age in Bible school, Isaiah was fairly intimidating to me. It took me a long time the first time I read through it. Um, but as I've aged and hopefully gotten wiser, um, Isaiah is just jam-packed, full of quality stuff. And Isaiah chapter 40 is kind of one of those jewels that's in there. And there's so much that we can get out of that to the point where as I'm preparing for this, I'm like, come on, Mark, 30 minutes? You gotta be kidding me. I mean, 30 days maybe. Um, but 30 minutes, how can we do this? But we're, we're gonna give it a shot. So first thing that we're gonna look at is um, where does chapter 40 fit in the book of Isaiah? What do we need to know about chapter 40 within the context of the whole book before we jump into what we're gonna be focusing on, verse 11? Um, and that is, all right, so there's kind of, with, if I paint with really broad strokes, there's two themes that kind of become apparent as you look at, at the book of Isaiah. Uh, the first 35 chapters, chapters one to 35, basically, if I'm gonna choose a, one word to describe them, I'm gonna choose the word judgment. Um, Isaiah has, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, um, written this thing, and it's basically judgment to uh, the people of Judah. It, it includes a lot of stuff. There's a ton of stuff in there. But one of the things in particular is prophesying about the upcoming Babylonian captivity, the exile. Uh, and so if we're going to put that into today's kind of context, um, let's, let's pretend Isaiah marches up here. And guess what? You know, COVID is done, huzzah. Five years from now, it's coming back, but now instead of two years, it's gonna be 70. <laughs> right, crickets, yahoo. Um, that's kind of what's going on here. You know, in the future, sometime in the future, uh, there's going to be the Babylonian captivity and you're gonna be going into exile. Hooray, no, not hooray. Um, it would be tough to take, it'd be tough to hear. Um, one thing to, to also consider as you look at these first 35 chapters of Isaiah is that Isaiah is speaking to the people right now, right here, about something that's going to happen in the future. The second kind of batch of chapters, the second half that I've, I've designated there, goes from Isaiah 40 to, to chapter 66 to the end of Isaiah. And the word that I chose there, again, painting with an incredibly broad brush, is salvation. Um, and that's kind of what those chapters focus on. And you will notice that chapter 40 is the first of those chapters. So chapter 40 is key. Um, one thing now to remember, um, Isaiah, instead of speaking now about something happening in the future, he's hopped in his DeLorean and over the past couple of chapters, he's time traveled and he is now in the future speaking to them as though they're in the, the Babylonian exile. 
And that is where chapter 40 sits. So he's no longer talking to them about something in the future. He's now talking to them about something that they're experiencing right now. If, uh, if you have one of these Bibles, I think most of you do, and if you look at Isaiah chapter 40, you'll see that the heading there is comfort for God's people. But what I have written up there is the greatness of God. Um, it is definitely comfort for God's people. Undeniably, chapter 40 is about that. But the comfort that Isaiah points them to is, let's turn and look at the greatness of God, and that's what I, I see here in chapter 40. Um, and so that's what we're going to look at today. It's a great thing to be looking at. Um, do we have any shepherds in the building? Any of you who have raised sheep? I see one. Goats. Farm animals. Oh, there's a few more. Okay, so we're getting there. Um, when I was a kid, um, there was a period of years where we actually raised sheep. And that experience has actually really impacted the way that I read a lot of these chapters or verses in the Bible, having to do with God being our shepherd and that experience there. Um, so we're gonna read through Isaiah chapter 40. We're gonna read through the whole thing because it is that good. Uh, and then we'll go on from there. Isaiah 40 verses one and two. Comfort, comfort my people. What do we know about it when they repeat a word like that in the Bible? It, it's driving you, it's, it's pay attention. Isaiah is putting the emphasis on the right syllable to get your point, right? This is what I'm trying to say here. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And why are they needing comfort? 70 years in exile, 70 years in Babylon. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her and her, her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill be made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places as a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Again, he's pointing the people to God. As you look for your comfort, let's look at the Lord. All the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Again, pointing them to, the, to God's word. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, and again, what's he doing? Here is your God. Let's look to God for our comfort. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. So again, looking to the sovereign Lord who rules with power. He rules with a mighty arm. So when I read that, I get kind of an image of, of strength, of power, maybe even battle in a, or, or power in a kind of a battle or military type context. Um, as they as we see in verse 10 there, in God's mighty arm. Interestingly, immediately after that, we talk about a shepherd 
and tending his flock like a shepherd, carrying the lambs in his arms. So we have kind of that picture of God's arms as, as mighty, strong, full of strength, and then immediately, it's not all that. There's also gentleness, tenderness, caring, um, that aspect of God as well. And we see that in those two verses there. He carries them close to his heart. What a great picture. He gently leads those that have young. In this section of verses here, I just made all those who's read. As I was reading through it, I was like, man, this is really reminding me of something. What it reminds me of, some of you may know this already, have already thought about it. The book of Job, chapters 38 through 40 and around there. A lot of this kind of stuff is going on there. And what's going on there as, as you look at, or as you read through Job, it's the same thing that's kind of going on here. When God asks these kinds of questions, is he actually expecting us to answer him? We know the answer to these questions. God was basically laying the, uh, the, the sovereign smackdown on Job. <laughs> he, he was putting him in his place. He was saying, I am God. It's kind of the same thing going on here, just not for three chapters. Um, so let's look at this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Again, all of this pointing to the greatness of God. Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were a fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? What image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. So again, who will you compare God? He's driving people to look at God. Um, who is he, his character, his nature? Who are you gonna compare him to? To one of these golden idols or to a wooden idol that even though it might be really well made, somebody brushes it with their, with their elbow as they walk past and plunk, plunk, it falls on the floor and, and breaks or whatever. Really, are we gonna compare those things with God? No, absolutely not. God is so much more than that. And then, ah, the favorite of pilots everywhere around the world, these, these verses. Do you not know, have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each one of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, none of them is missing." Now, I'm sure some of you have found a special someone in the months that you've been here at school. Some of you may have even come with a special someone. I know, again, when I was your age with my special someone, we loved to go on walks in the evening. And 
if you head north to Three Hills and you get away from the lights of the town and it's a clear night, next time you're out there, stop and look up, look at the heavens and the expanse and just take a few minutes to remember these verses and to consider your creator. Unbelievable stuff that he has made to drive us towards worship of him. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Oh, that's good stuff. So that's chapter 40. And you can see, if you look at it from that perspective of where they are, where it falls in the chapter of Isaiah, and that theme of comfort, and not just comfort, but comfort through Almighty God. Um, and then we go, and we, we, we're gonna look at verse 11 in particular. So verse 11, to remind you, is the shepherd verse. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So what does that verse mean to those people as they read it, to, to the people of Judah, to the Israelites, as they read those verses, as they heard Isaiah speak those verses? What comes to mind as they consider the shepherd? Um, this is a picture from... Uh, Mongolia. I had flown a group up to the northwestern corner of Mongolia. Those hills, uh, those hills just up there, just behind those hills is China, that little tiny strip of China that runs north and touches Russia. And then just a few kilometers beyond that is the country of Kazakhstan. So we were way out in the dingles there. There's nothing but um, a few people and, and their, their animals. So Really interesting though, in this case, they were shepherding goats. But what they've done there is they've taken these goats and they've interlocked all their horns so that they can't move. And then what that allows them to do is they can go along with their little bucket behind there and they can milk all of those goats one by one and those goats can't move. <laughs> and that's how they would milk that many of the goats at once. Um, and they would get their milk that way. So. Is it comfortable for those goats? I'm guessing not. Um, but it really, really served to accomplish the means of the shepherd. So thinking of that as, as how a shepherd is interacting with his flocks, I thought that's interesting and unique. I don't know if they would have thought of anything like that in relation to God um, accomplishing his purposes through us. But I thought it was, I, I'd never heard or seen of anything like that and I thought it was fascinating. That's me. <laughs> I can't remember how old I was, I think probably around 15. I was in 4-H, so the red shirt was not a choice, that was the colors of our club. That was my 4-H steer and that was my younger sister's 4-H lamb project. Um, so these were the years where we had um, sheep on our acreage and, um, and, and like I said, we had quite a few sheep. We had 85, 85-ish, I think, ewes. And the one year, we actually had a lambing percentage of over 200%, which means we averaged more than twins for every, every ewe that gave birth. So we had sheep running everywhere. It was amazing. 
But as I read this passage about uh, God being the shepherd, there were three stories, three things that happened to me back in the day uh, during that time that came to mind. And I thought I'd share them with you um, as we consider God comforting the people of Judah. And in particular in verse 11 with, uh, where do we find our comfort? We find that comfort from God. Um, So the first time, uh, it's a little bit funny, but at the same time, I think it makes the point. Um, in, gr- in grade nine, in ninth grade, I was doing what basically would be called today online schooling. Now, there was no online then. Yes, <laughs> it didn't happen. It, it didn't exist. Um, maybe the, the Uber nerds might have had, you know, we can send a message across the country, but it, nothing like what we have today. So what happened was I would get my schoolwork in the mail, on a cassette tape. Anyone know what a cassette tape is? Yeah, there's a few, woo! Um, And so I would have my textbook, I'd have my assignments, and I'd listen to the tape, listen to my lesson, and then do it. And then I would put it in a mail, lick it with a stamp, and send it, and it would go. A Couple weeks later, I'd get it back full of, of red marks, well, hopefully not too many red marks, with a grade on it. And that's how I did ninth grade. So this was when we had our sheep, And one of the perks about doing that stuff at home is the one day I look out the window and I could see out beyond our sheep uh, pasture and out in the field beyond there was a coyote, a coyote if you're from Phoenix apparently, but um, it was out in the field there. And so, um, you know, I'm, these are my sheep. I'm their shepherd. I'm going to look after them. I'm not going to let that coyote get in the pen. So down the stairs I go, grab the rifle, put a few shells in there, and head off across the field to, if I can't take care of this thing once and for all, I'm going to chase it away so that it doesn't come back. I'm going to say it was January. I honestly can't remember, but it was cold, and it's cold in January. And so off I go, about half a mile from our place, there's a little ravine where I knew that there was an old coyote den, and I thought that he might be heading there. And so I go off there. As I get to the edge of the ravine, uh, it looked like he had gone on. The tracks continued past, and so I wasn't going to chase him any further. But I thought, I think there's tracks going in and out of that den, so I'm just going to sit here for a while. So I kind of hunkered down, and it was really stupid of me. I I don't know if I was licking my lips or what, as I must have been bringing the rifle up to look at the coyote den through the scope. And as I licked my lips, my tongue made contact with the rifle scope. So we have a nice, warm, moist tongue and a really cold metal rifle scope, and it froze instantly. So here I am. I'm like half an hour from home, or sorry, half a mile from home, and this thing is stuck to my tongue, and like, it was frozen. Um, I was like, I, I didn't want to do the, the, just that yank, because no way. I was like, I value my tongue too much. I'm not going to do that. So I kind of tried to warm up my tongue with my fingers a little bit. Doesn't work. Um, And I'm like, (laughs) all right, I guess I'm walking home like this. So so off across the field I go, I maybe made it 100 yards at most, and I was like, this isn't working. The gun was getting really heavy, my arms were getting tired, and I didn't want to get to the point where all the weight of that gun was pulling on my tongue. So at that point, I just millimeter by millimeter, peeled my tongue off of the rifle scope and I could see a lot of little taste buds there (laughs) stuck to it afterwards. But I got it off and I went back home. For several days I couldn't taste anything and I talked a little bit funny. But 
Um, the, the point is, if I'd seen that coyote a few minutes later, I would have been back out there. I would have, I would have grabbed the gun. Hopefully, I would have been intelligent enough not to do that again. But, you know, <laughs> don't lick guns. Don't lick cold metal. Yeah. Um, but I would have been out there. Those are my sheep. I'm going to look after them. Um, because in that instance, they're not able to look after themselves. So that was the first story. The second is about one of our sheep. Um, you talk about the sheep knowing the shepherd and the shepherd knowing the sheep. Um, the one day we noticed this one sheep and her nose was just flowing with gook. Uh, so we appropriately named her Boogs, B-O-O-G-S, short for boogers. And, uh, and after that, even after she got better, that was her name. But because she appeared to be so sick, I don't know if sheep can get colds, but that's what I would describe it as. We took her, we put a little pen in our little barn and we brought her in and then we looked after her until she was better. Um, and during that time, she bonded with us. And so every time after that, whenever we'd go up there, the sheep would always come running, but Boogs was always leading the charge to the point where you had to really brace yourself because if she ran into you, she could knock you over. She came so hard. But she knew, hey, the shepherd is coming. He's coming. He's probably going to feed me. If nothing else, he's coming. He's here. <laughs> I'm going to be there. I'm going to be the first one to get there. So thinking about us as the sheep and God as the shepherd, you know, what's our response when we go to meet God? Um, you know, as, as he's looking after us, what is our response to that? The third thing was our bottle babies. Far and away, the coolest thing. Um, every once in a while, there would be a you when she had twins or triplets, and she wouldn't acknowledge that one of them was hers. So she would just kick it to the side. And if you just leave it, it would just starve and die. So of course we're not going to do that. So these little babies, these little lambs we take into our little, our little barn and you go inside, you mix the whatever lamb formula is called, lamb formula, I guess, <laughs> and put them in Coke bottles with the little feeding nipple on the top. And then I, I, I seem to remember, you know, putting them in your jacket to keep them warm, hiking up to the barn and then you'd get to feed these little lambs. Um, and, and this is really the picture that I see in verse 11 here of the great shepherd carrying us in his arms. When they were little, we'd hold them in our arms like this and we'd, we'd feed them. As they got a little bit bigger, you could just hold them and they'd come up and feed them. And then one of the coolest things, if you've never experienced it, I encourage you to try if you ever have the opportunity. After they stopped being bottle fed, they still knew us. We were their mom. <laughs> And so, like, in the, in the winter, crunching up on the snow, and they'd hear us, vroom, they'd come running um, to the point where it got hard to get the grain to feed them because there's so many of them gathered around your feet. But if you'd kind of sit there and put your fingers like that, they'd come up and suck on your fingers. If you've never experienced that, it's the coolest thing. Um, but, you know, those were, those were our lambs. We looked after them. They knew us. We knew them. And, and that was just the way it is. And in my mind, as I read this passage, as I read uh, in, in verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is, this is part of that comfort for the people of Judah, for us as we think about that. Um, this is part of the character and nature of our God as he looks after us. Um, and I think that this is kind of what probably came to their minds as they read this. Oh, yeah. Oh, 
I think we can just all appreciate that, am I right? I know there's a few of you that can. Um, this is in Mongolia, kind of central western Mongolia, flying in my caravan. If you uh, see the little white things there, those are what they call gares. The, um, yurts is probably what you'd call them. That's what they live in. But those are nomadic shepherds. And you'd fly for hours and you'd see a few of those just in the middle of nowhere. And this is what they did. They looked after their flocks. When the grass went away, they'd just pick everything up and move to where there was grass, set it up, and, and continue looking after their flocks. Uh, again, I think a little bit of an image of, of what we can see in verse 11 as we consider the, the good shepherd. So I know, or I hope, that as we think about God being the good shepherd, there's other verses that came to your mind or that you may have thought of. Uh, one in particular, oh, let's try it again. There we are. Oh, we're gonna go with two of them. Psalm 23, the shepherd psalm. Would the people have thought of this? I don't know if they would have read that psalm yet or not, but I know that we have and I have, and this is one of the ones I thought of. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and we know that whole psalm. Tremendous, tremendous stuff. Psalm 28, verse nine. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd. And what is the shepherd doing? And carry them forever. Um, a very similar type of picture going on there. Because we have the New Testament, we know there's stuff in there as well. John 10, 11 and 10, 14, honestly, that whole chapter of John, but these are the two that I, that I pulled out there. I am the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And what did the great good shepherd do for us? That's exactly what he did for us. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. You know, when, when we go to God, you know, do we go to him with that excitement of, hey, it's the shepherd. <laughs> I get to be with him. <gasps> um, you know, yeah, no, won't go there. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say suck on his fingers, but that, that's just... <laughs> That's just, that's just weird. <laughs> um, but you know, that, that excitement to, to, to be with the great shepherd, you know, that is, that is what we should be going for um, when, we, when we get to, to, to spend time with God. There's other verses as well, you know, describing us as the sheep, describing God as the great shepherd. Um, and, and it, it should bring to mind this kind of imagery as we think about the character and nature of God. So as we think about this, Isaiah chapter 40, and in particularly verse 11 with the shepherd, what can we take away from this? Well, one of the questions I have from you is where do you go to find your comfort? So when you're feeling in need of comfort, where do you go to find that comfort? Maybe Netflix, Disney Plus, one of the millions of streaming services out there. Um, other stuff that's online. Maybe it's your partner and you go to them. And sometimes that can be good because we can together draw closer to God. Maybe it's online gaming, books, things like that, that we go when we're needing comfort, when we're looking for comfort. Where are we finding that? Well, based on what we've just looked at in, in Isaiah chapter 40, and then again in, in 11, where did Isaiah direct the people when he was bringing them comfort? He directed them to God. Look at the God. Look at the, the God who created everything around you, who looks after you. He's strong. He's gentle. Those characteristics of God, this is what he pointed the people to. 
when you are looking for comfort, we should be, first of all, going and seeking God, seeking, getting to know him better and finding our comfort there. He's the good shepherd. He knows us. He knows us better than everything. The hair's on our head. This is the God that we serve. So uh, what, what can you do today, this coming week, whenever? Um, so this is my challenge for you. Find a way to get to know the good shepherd even better than you do right now. Um, maybe you've been skimping out on your daily reading and not spending that time with God. Uh, you know, I'm really busy. I gotta get this done, so I'm not gonna do it today. Um, this week, you know, when you're considering maybe not doing it, do it. You know, spend that extra time and, and get to know the God that you serve and love even better. Uh, maybe you've been skipping church. It's really easy to do online church these days because everybody's streaming their services. Uh, and maybe you haven't been in person for a while. You know, I'm just gonna sleep in and I'll just watch the recording later. Well, make that effort. Get up there, get up in the morning, make your way to church and, and be there in person to participate. Get to know your God a little bit better that way. Uh, your school assignments. <laughs> I know I didn't always put as much effort into my assignments as I should have when I was in Bible school. You know, maybe two hours is enough to, go, to do okay on that particular assignment. But think what would happen if you'd spend that extra hour. Um, you're in the unique position right now where you're getting college credits for getting to know God better. That's tremendous. Take advantage of that. And, and through your assignments, get to know God better. Conversations with friends, is it just kind of light frou-frou stuff? Maybe you can work in a little bit. Like I say, when you're out on a walk, stop. And not just look at the stars, but think of the God who created all of them. And he died for you. Um, think of these things. So yeah, that's my challenge for you. Find a way to get to know the Good Shepherd even better this week than you do right now. It doesn't have to be a big, huge thing. It might be, just be a little thing. But try to think of one way that you can do that this week. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the good shepherd, that when we are in need of comfort, we can come to you, we can look at your character, and we can see your power and might and strength throughout the universe, and as well as in the little things and how you care for each of us day by day. Lord, we pray that we would get to know you better. Every day, just a little bit, taking that time, being intentional about getting to know you, and as we get to know you, finding our comfort in you. We pray for the remainder of our day and week that we would honor and glorify you in our actions and the things that we do. And we thank you that we can spend this time together. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. May you go and experience God's comfort the rest of this week.